This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Roddy takes the snap. He'll look to the right side. He's throwing deep again, going to the end zone, up in the air. Touchdown, Eskimos! Adarius Bowman! Hey, that's three! From Carpat and Finland, Getty, Jarvis. He takes the snap, and J.C. Sherritt goes over the top. The Eskimo defense has done it! Eskimos win the football game. It is short. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chet. So I want you to do something here for a second. Just wherever you are, it doesn't involve talking to anybody or taking your hands off the wheel if you're driving or whatever you're doing. Just go with me here for a second. I want you to think of your favorite sports team. And now I want you to think of your favorite player on that team. So it's obviously somebody that you like. And then now ask yourself, do you respect that player? Probably the answer is yes, but just go with me here for a second. Now I want you to think of a team that you dislike, you absolutely hate, whether it's the rival of your favorite team, just a team you never liked, whatever. Now I want you to think of the best player on that team you hate. Are you doing this with me as well, Matthew Panashik? I want you to come along for this ride. Yes, I, I want, am. I want you to think of the team that you hate and the best player on that team. Now ask yourself, do you respect that player? Probably don't like him, but do you respect that player? Do you, at the very least, admire something about his abilities or the qualities he brings to his team and to his sport? I'll tell you where I'm going with this as we roll into Inside Sports on this Thursday night. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. It is 6.08. Eskimos Riders tomorrow right here on this very station. 6 o'clock for the pregame show. 8 o'clock for the kickoff. Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. We will bring you the game. Morley Scott and Dave Campbell will have a preview as we move along tonight also olympic bronze medalist stephanie labe from stony plain bronze medal with the canadian women's soccer team in rio she's the goaltender she'll join us at 7 30 tonight so keep that in mind all right i, I just want to roll along this uh respect discussion and i got inspired today to talk about this because i found it very interesting and i think it ties into a lot of different things when it comes to motivation, when it comes to evaluating athletes in their sport, and when, quite frankly, it comes down to which athletes, whether it is a team or individual environment, which ones succeed, which ones reach the elite levels, which ones push themselves to achieve more than was thought possible, which ones, quite frankly, sometimes win over and over again. Now, you got to remember here, we're using... Um, the word respect rather rather than the word like because I do think there are different things there probably many of you listening probably many of you listening 
uh, dislike, for example, the team that the Eskimos are playing tomorrow, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And I say that respectfully, knowing that there's a, a, a strong contingent of Rider Nation in our listening area. But I'm going to guess many of you hate the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. But you may respect them, or you very may very least respect their fans. You, you certainly, I, I would guess, many of you respect Darian Durant, who has had a great Canadian Football League career as one. You may not respect Chris Jones, but that's a, that's another story, and we'll get into that. The the thing that got me going on this, and Matthew, is, is uh, you know, I like to read. In fact, read is my middle name, as I pointed out with Gene Principe the, <laughs> the other night when he was on the show. So I got this uh, book for my birthday back in the spring. It's called This Is Your Brain on Sports, and it's written by L. John Wertheim, who's a Sports Illustrated writer, and his a guy he's friends with, San Somers, who's a... Uh, a psychology professor. He's, uh, he's he's a psychology professor in the United States. So they they uh, they wrote this book. This is your brain on sports. I'm not that deep into it yet, but they have a chapter called "Why We Channel Our Inner Mayweather and Secretly Crave Disrespect." Now, obviously, Matthew, you know who Mayweather is referring to. Manny Pacquiao. The well, the boxer Floyd Mayweather. Yes. Right. Okay. So that's that's the that's the guy in the chapter title. So now, again, we have to separate like as a person or respect as a person from his abilities as an athlete because Floyd Mayweather has had some domestic violence issues, uh, which nobody can condone. As a boxer, Floyd Mayweather will likely be remembered as one of the greatest boxers uh, of all time. So uh, Wertheim, Wertheim sat down to interview Mayweather um, for this book back in 2013. He was preparing to fight uh, uh, for the, white, the WBC welterweight title against Robert the Ghost Guerrero. So Wertham gets the interview with him, and it was supposed to be about the fighter's wealth. He's one of the world's highest-earning athletes. Uh, somewhere in the book, I think it mentions he made more. That Yeah, right. In, two, in 2013, he uh, earned $100 million, far more than any other athlete in any other sport, more than LeBron and Tiger combined in 2013, when obviously Woods was still uh, pretty good at golf. So what happened here is that the interview turned into basically... A, a discussion of how Mayweather feels uh, disrespected by, well, pretty much everybody. I'm just going to read some of the quotes from the book. I'm just sick of this blank. I, there's, I obviously won't say the swearing. I'm just sick of this crap. I live to prove the credit's wrong. But it's like, what do I have to do before Floyd, Mether gets, Floyd Mayweather gets his due, you know? Uh, Wortham points out Mayweather uniformly regarded as the best pound-for-pound boxer in the world. He is mentioned in the discussion uh, of the greatest fighters of all time. For this fight, now for this fight that they had uh, back in 2013, the, the, the other fighter, Guerrero, was paid $3 million. I'm sure we would all love to be paid $3 million for... It's not one night's work because you have to train, but a few months' work of training and a fight, $3 million. Not bad. Mayweather was guaranteed $32 million. <laughs> Does that sound like someone being disrespected for his boxing abilities? <laughs> like Mayweather could have gone in there, taken one punch to the jaw, and fallen down and retired. Bam, $32 million, right? Uh, just <laughs> so... 
another, another quote from 2011. Mayweather says, most people should be talking about how Floyd Mayweather is a great undefeated future Hall of Famer that's his own promoter and that works extremely hard to get where he's at. Instead, all you hear is hate and jealous remarks from the critics who criticize me. Uh, no, he may be hated. People may be jealous of them, but I don't know if he's really being criticized. I, I think, and we'll, we'll, we'll develop this more as I go, this sounds a little bit like selective listening by Floyd Mayweather and by a lot of other athletes, which we'll talk about. Uh, Wortham points out in this chapter, in, uh, in 2014, the Boston Bruins felt disrespected by the Montreal Canadiens in the playoffs. The Canadiens uh, felt disrespected by everybody else. Ray Allen felt disrespected by the Celtics, and that's why he signed with the Heat. David Ortiz of the Red Sox felt disrespected by baseball fans who had stopped believing in him. Wortham got all this from one day in the Boston Sports News. That's not from a year. That's from a day in the Boston Sports News. So he he chronicles all these uh, instances. Uh, Oh, this is a good one. Matthew, I assume you've heard of a, a, a tennis player by the name of Rafael Nadal. Yes, sir. Pretty good. Quotes from him. I've always had doubts. I never believed that I am very good, nor do I believe it now. He said this in 2014 when he was ranked number one in the world. Uh, Nadal was challenged by the person doing the interview and said, uh, it's evident that my numbers say I'm good. Sure, I know I'm number one because the numbers say I am, but I don't see myself that way. So many, many numerous uh, things in this chapter. Just one other thing before I get into this further. So then, coincidentally, and this just led me to believe I, I have to talk about this tonight because I, I find it really interesting. Hopefully you do too. And by the way, you can text 630-630. There's a few texts rolling in already. Uh, the Sports Illustrated, what's the cover date here? It's got Michael Phelps on the cover. August 22nd, there's an article on Doug Baldwin. For my, he plays for my favorite NFL team, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh... Baldwin is aware of, this is what the the article says, he's aware of every time anyone has doubted him and he wants to be recognized as one of the best receivers in pro football. He's still not over the pedestrian label used two years ago to describe Seattle's wideouts. Later on in the story, uh, talking about his uh, teen years, Baldwin says, I really didn't have anybody I was close to. You were either with me or you weren't, and if you weren't, it was like blank you. I carry that to this day. I'm working through it, but it's in me. Andrew Luck was his quarterback. They both went to Stanford. Andrew Luck now plays for uh, Indianapolis, Matthew. Andrew Luck says, you know how people say someone plays with a chip on his shoulder? Baldwin had a bag of chips on each shoulder. <laughs> so it's interesting to me the, uh, the motivation that these athletes are finding through being disrespected, w- whether it's real or not. And uh, I want to keep talking about this, but I I was thinking about tomorrow's game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Eskimos fans, the last thing I assume you want to do is motivate the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So all we have to do is treat them with respect. (laughs) Because apparently... Treating an athlete with disrespect is the best thing you can do to fire him or her up. I want to develop this topic a little more into uh, into how we can evaluate athletes 
and how this is one of those things that we just can't measure in an athlete or in a human being. The phone lines are open as well, 780-496-0063. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Hey, this is Jordan Eberle from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, it's 3-3 BC and Ottawa in the CFL. Five minutes into the second quarter, the Lions are 5-3, and three, Ottawa 4-3-1. and one. Uh, If you're an Eskimos fan, you get a pull for Ottawa there because uh, BC loss would knock them down to 5-4. and four. An Eskimos win tomorrow would boost them up to 5-4. and four. What's going on in the baseball game there, Matthew? Oh, I got to take a look. I got the NFL game Oh, I thought game you were on. watching it. I'm I sorry. should have been watching it, but I had... I just well, to... don't worry. I have it open. Blue Jays up one nothing on the Angels. That is in the bottom of the fifth. Jay Happ has allowed only two hits and struck out six through five innings. Your scoreboard for Crystal Glass for all your glass needs. Call 310-GLASS today. And Tampa Bay beat Boston 2-1 this afternoon. So the Jays currently a half game up on Boston. They can go a full game up with a win today. Sidney Crosby will captain Canada at the World Cup of Hockey. Surprise, surprise. The Colorado Avalanche hired Jared Bednar as their head coach. He's 44. He coached the uh, Lake Erie Monsters to the AHL Calder Cup Championship this past season. So, some text here to 630-630. Sean says, I uh, used to hate Milan Lucic. He has always had my respect. Pretty sure I like him now. And uh, another texter says, I hate the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I hate Darian Durant. I respect Otha Foster, former Eskimo, now playing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Just talking a little bit about how athletes can in in many cases quite frankly use disrespect as motivation and it often comes down to perceived disrespect where you take that one negative comment or or maybe even it wasn't a negative comment maybe just athletes as in the Floyd Mayweather example keep convincing themselves that nobody thinks they're any good nobody gives them the recognition they deserve and they use that as fuel um, it, you know, the, the book I'm talking about, this is your brain on sports. It came out earlier this year. It's quite interesting, actually. Um, you know, the point here is that, that, that the authors make is that um, people in general always think that they're the center of attention and tend to blow up or even manufacture other people's opinions of them, which is, uh, which is very interesting. And that, yeah, in some cases... Athletes create false narratives to keep themselves motivated. And it's interesting to me because we're sitting here using one of the best boxers of all time. Rafael Nadal was mentioned in the book, one of the best uh, tennis players of all time. Um, Doug Baldwin, one of the best receivers in the CFL. The book actually mentions the Seahawks calling themselves underdogs going into the the season after, after they already won the Super Bowl. Um, so I, I, I find this interesting because we, we've we talking about it in, in hockey terms. You know, the, the analytics stuff has really taken off the last few years. And I, I'm, not, I'm not using this to devalue that or attack it or anything like that because I, I certainly think that it does reveal some things. But at the end of the day, 
where you're dealing with human beings when you're on a team you have your teammates the coaches dealing with home human beings and Todd McClellan isn't walking into a dressing room with 20 diverse individuals who all could have had 20 different things happen to that day to them that day or had the same thing happen to them and reacted in 20 different ways and he can't sit there and see a bunch of numbers he has to see 20 distinct human beings and you know, uh, Ryan Batty, who I love having on the show, he writes for copperandblue.com, and he he said to me last time he was in studio here, he said it on air, he says, I like to I, I like things that I can measure. You know, I, I like something that I can I can actually quantify. This happens at this this rate or this amount or anything like all those things like that. Perfectly logical thinking but when you read stuff like this and and you hear athletes using all these quotes about or or saying all these things about being disrespected when clearly nobody disrespects them they may be disliked but they're clearly not disrespected it just reminds me of all the things that go into the successes or failures of these athletes that we can't see and you really can't measure I, I suppose you could say that it, it ultimately measures itself in the performance of the athlete, but you can't really know the percentage. The, you can't actually quantify the effect that these feelings, that these motivations, these slights and these perceived slights actually have on that individual athlete. I mean, can we say that if Connor McDavid has a game, can you, you can't look at it and say, well, he, was 30, he felt 30% disrespected tonight. He needs to feel 50, and then he plays. You, no, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. And, and often these athletes who drive themselves to the top are the ones who either convince themselves they're not good enough and or they are convinced that other people think they're never good enough. In the Doug Baldwin article in, in Sports Illustrated, after winning the Super Bowl, he said to himself, oh, is that all it is? Is that all that feels like to win the Super Bowl? He re- he'd reached the pinnacle of his sport, and he in his in his own mind he downplayed it. In his own mind he downplayed it. Now you can you can analyze that to death probably, but what's part of thing going on in his mind there? I can't stop. I can't rest on my laurels for a minute. We're gonna have Glenroy Gilbert on the show a little bit later on. He uh, coaches the Canadian 4x100-meter relay teams, so that includes the Andre de Grasse team that got a medal in Rio. And I was talking to Glenroy this afternoon, and uh, we were talking about the relay in 1996. He was on that winning relay team in Atlanta, and he said, yeah, you know what? The Canadian team felt disrespected by the Americans, and that was fuel. That actually gives you power. It gives you strength because you're just thinking, okay, well, clearly these guys are... Uh, we had won the world championships the year before, but the U.S. had dropped the stick in that competition. So most people saw it as, well, yeah, you guys are world champions, but you didn't really beat anybody. So this was our shot to, uh, to beat the Americans on uh, on their home turf. And even though we were going through the rounds and they were way ahead of us, we still knew that in the final, if we had the little bit of push we needed at the beginning, that we would we would get them at the finish line for sure. All right, so that's Glenroy Gilbert talking about 1996. He says they'd won the relay the year before. 
but the United States dropped the baton. So everybody was saying, or, or his perception was, people were saying, well, the U.S. is still the best. Canada didn't really, quote-unquote, win. The United States lost. Well, what happened? Don Whitman's telling you, don't you love Saturday nights in Georgia because Bailey and company blew away the field. Full interview with Glenroy Gilbert coming up at 8.30 tonight. You can always text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Still 3-3 between Ottawa and B.C. Six and a half minutes left in the third quarter. The Eskimos play the Rough Riders tomorrow evening. Coming up, Morley Scott for a little preview of that. Later on, Jamie Nye, our old friend, host of the Green Zone, CJME Radio in Regina. What an interesting season. To say the least, it's been for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Oh, we'll have a little bit of Chris Jones. It's one of them deals where we'll have some Chris Jones comments on the show a little bit later on. He is back in town. Last time these two teams played, it was a classic. The Eskimos heavily favored going into tomorrow night's game. All right, quick timeout for the news, traffic, weather, Morley Scott when we get back. Good to have you along for the ride. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Listening to 6:30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 6:30 Chad 6:34. Just watching this uh, football game here. BC now up 9-3 on Ottawa. I, you know what? I just left the studio. But it looks like the uh, apparently the general manager of the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks, Marcel, Marcel Desjardins, was involved in a sideline collision and is uh, shaken off. I think he might be okay, but he was being attended to. Man. So the coach got bumped intentionally by Duran Carter. And uh, now it looks like an uh, unintentional collision there uh, for Marcel Desjardins. We'll keep you updated on this game. Josh Donaldson has a home run. The Blue Jays now lead the Angels 2-0 in the sixth inning. All right, tomorrow it is Edmonton and Saskatchewan on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium. And, uh, man, I, I, I don't for, for thrills and spills, I don't think it'll top what happened back on July 8th. Durant is throwing to the end zone, and... It's a touchdown. Rob Bag with the reception, and the Riders have done to the Eskimos what the Eskimos did to them in the preseason game. Strike quickly. Ocean starts. Riley waits for the ball and gets it. He'll drop back and wait. Now he's going to take off himself, then throws. Touchdown, Eskimos. Chris gets that. Riley's going to keep it and then throw, and Adarius Pullman's got a pair. Touchdown, Eskimos. Durant drops, throws, loops one up into the air, and... That's a touchdown, Saskatchewan. Nice catch by John Giles. Motion starts. Durant gets the ball. He'll drop back. He looks, throws, and is it complete? Touchdown, Saskatchewan. Shamad Chambers. This one from 51 to tie it. Ball is up, and it is through. Sean White has done it again. It's a tie game. We're going to overtime. Here's Sean White. Puts it up, and he hits it. 
So the Eskimos go up. 39-36 on a field goal from Sean White. He takes the snap, and J.C. Sherritt goes over the top. It's close, but I think Duran might have He might have just got it. Yeah, I'm not sure. We'll have to wait. They're bringing out the chains to measure it. Wow. Here we go. The Eskimo defense has done it. Eskimos win the football game. It is short. Quite simply, one of the wildest games I have ever witnessed in person. The Riders were up 13-0. They were up 19-7. The Eskimos scored 26 straight points. They led 33-19 with 9-17 left. The Riders went up 36-33 with uh, 19 seconds left. There was a kick return in there. The Eskimos had 13 seconds. Got the ball into a long field goal range. White tied it, and the Eskimos stuffed the quarterback sneak in overtime to win it. Morley Scott called that game. Morley, thanks for waiting, but I wanted to play the recap of uh, you and Dave calling the game in uh, certainly, I don't know, man. What have you, you been doing now? Seven, eight years of Eskimos? Like, that's going to be up there for... Yeah, this is seven. Yeah. Like, you've never called a crazier game. I don't think so. That, that was uh, it was a wild game, and, and then the, just the, the point swings in it and the emotion in it. And, and, I mean, to have a game finish on a, on a measurement and, a, you know, a defensive stand in overtime, you got to wait to measure the football, and all of a sudden it's a win. And, and it's a weird way to celebrate because usually you celebrate wins when you score, right? But because it was the overtime situation, a stuff on the, on the short uh, third down play turned the ball over, and the Eskimos won it. It was indeed a wild, wild game. All right, uh, Morley, are you? Do you have the BC Ottawa game on? Yeah, I so, was. You were talking about uh, Marcel Desjardins. What happened? He, got, he was he was on the sidelines, and it was a long kick return by Rainey. And uh, as the pile went out of bounds, somebody rolled into Desjardins, and he couldn't really get out of the way because he was kind of standing in front of that kicking net, so he had nowhere to go. And he got his legs twisted out from underneath him, uh, out underneath him, and uh, he went down hard and immediately grabbed his knee and went down, but. Uh, he's since been helped up, and he's he's looks like he's okay. Uh, I think he can general manage again next week. I don't think they'll have to put him on the right. injured list, uh, but uh, it could have been dangerous for sure. Uh, there's a lot of guys standing on the sidelines in football games, and I'm surprised that those kind of injuries and those kind of things don't happen a lot more than they do. Uh, but yeah, it looked like I think it looked worse than it actually turned out to be. Okay. All right. Well, thanks because I I missed the the play, but I, I saw the aftermath of it. So so thanks for the update on that. Morley, we got the game tomorrow here on six thirty, Chad, and uh, second of three meetings between these two teams. Now for the Eskimos, uh, they're going in as, as heavy favorites. Uh, they they looked really good against Toronto. Saskatchewan completely bombed by the by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But a key injury to the Eskimos because John White isn't going to play. What are the expectations here are for Shakir Bell? And, and I mean, is there a possibility that that if he's not doing it early, McCarty's going to go right back in there? Uh, yeah, oh, well, for sure. I, I don't think that's uh, that's not out of the realm of possibilities at all. I know head coach Jason Moss talked to us today, and 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 his he is not at all concerned about the run game uh, from Shakir Bell. He knows he can run. I mean, he put up real good numbers last year. I think about 700 yards in the, in the 11 games he played last year. So uh, there's not much of a concern as far as the run game goes for Shakir Bell. Uh, the concern's got to be blocking. John White is one of the best blocking backs in the Canadian Football League. He does a tremendous job back there. And uh, I, I think that is where there is some concern. Uh, 
Shakir Bell is going to get the opportunity to, to hang in there and to do the job, and they have confidence in him to do it. But if it doesn't go well, I don't think they'd hesitate to go to Calvin McCarty in that position because, you know, it's, it's strange, Reid, but the most important job of a running back, especially in the CFL and in a league that passes so much, is to protect the quarterback. You have to be able to block, and not just block. You've got to be able to read when those linebackers are coming in, when when they're sending in the the you know the cornerback uh, uh, to to uh, rush the the quarterback, and and you got to be able to read that. And if you make a mistake and and exit the backfield too early, you're leaving your quarterback exposed, and of course nobody wants that. Okay, you know what's interesting to me, Morley, is that when Justin Sorensen has been in the lineup and that <laughs> offensive line has been intact. Uh, you, I know you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but the Eskimos have never had trouble moving the ball. They haven't always scored because against Montreal, they fumbled on the one a couple times. But with Justin Sorensen in the lineup, they haven't had trouble moving the ball. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Reed. Uh, Sorensen uh, is part of the uh, obviously part of the key, but that, in, that whole offensive line being healthy is a big part of it. I mean, look back to last year when they were healthy. They won 10 games in a row at the end of the season, right? So... Uh, protecting the quarterback, moving the football, it's all a big part uh, of what the offensive line does. And after so many years, how many years did we talk, Reed, about the Eskimos kind of fix their problems on the offensive line? Many, many years, uh, right? But the last two, maybe three, it's been pretty solid. And the Eskimos have got one of the best offensive lines now in the CFL, I think, and they've done a terrific job. Morley Scott joining us inside sports on 630 Chet at 641. By the way, uh, Ottawa now up on BC 10-9 in the second quarter. We'll watch that one throughout the evening. So uh, defensively, uh, you know, they've, they've kept tinkering. And as much as we've talked about personnel, the, the players in the defensive backfield have talked a lot about communication. And Brandon Thompson even brought that up yesterday when he was on the show with me. And he's only played, he's only played one game. So that's interesting to me because, you know, Benavides has been under fire. And, you know, I mean, you and I have heard from fans, just stupid play calling on defense. What's he doing? What's he doing? But it, it seems like more than anything, he's been teaching the players to read off each other and, and talk to each other as much as the X's and O's. Absolutely right. I know from the start of the season when things weren't going very well, Reed, everybody said just be patient. Once we figure it out, once we learn the system, once we learn how to play with our teammates, we're going to be okay. And they, they preached patience to everybody for the first four weeks of the season. And I think in the last four weeks, we've seen a real turnaround. Even in the games the Eskimos have lost in the last month, the defense has played pretty good and, and really can't be held accountable for, for what's happened. A couple of games, the offense you know, sputtered a little bit, and uh, the defense was probably good enough to win in a couple of those games. But they're playing really well right now. I mean, they're playing. They didn't give up a touchdown against, uh, uh, you know, for long stretches of time. Um, they, they, they shut down Toronto when they needed to. I mean, they were down 8 nothing early in the game, like a minute into the game last week. But the defense, well, the offense got their legs under them and, and forged to come back the defense was able to shut them down and play really well so i think the defense is really starting to come around they're starting to they've added the last few weeks a couple of veterans and full marks to, to brandon thompson who you talked about for the way he played but also to jason vega who was so good at that defensive end position i know talking to jason moss again today he was just raving about the game jason vega played at that defensive end spot especially as he said to come off the couch and step into a canadian football league game in that kind of heat and humidity and play that much and play that well, it was pretty important. Right, and he'll keep going because we're, we're probably not going to see Marcus Howard for a while, eh? Yeah, no, he's on the six-game list. They did hint at first that it might not be six games, but 
I mean, if it's four or five games, you might as well just let them get that extra week or two to heal up and, and be ready to come back and, at full strength. Plus, you save the money on the salary cap as well. So I don't think we'll see, we'll see Marcus Howard for a few weeks. All right. Well, Morley, I know you're doing your final prep for tomorrow's broadcast. It's always fun when that other team comes to town. Absolutely. It's, uh, I don't know if it can be as much fun as we had for that first game, but uh, it should be very interesting tomorrow. The uh, crowd's going to be huge. Uh, it's going to be probably the biggest crowd in the CFL this year. I know this morning the Eskimos were up around 32,000, they were saying, for, uh, for uh, tickets sold for the game. So uh, it's going to be a pretty good crowd tomorrow night. All right. I'll see you there, Morley. Okay, Reed. Morley Scott stepping in, play-by-play voice for your Edmonton Eskimos right here on 630. Chad Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium tomorrow, 8 o'clock kickoff. Our coverage will start at, uh, at 6 o'clock. So... The Riders are 1-7, and seven, and uh, if anything, they look like they're getting worse from where they were to the start of the season. Chris Jones, during all his time in the CFL, even as an as a, as assistant, uh, you know, as a coordinator and a position coach, he's never really been on a, on a horrible team. And Dave Campbell today asked the Riders coach about dealing with the losing. Yeah, you know, I've, I've leaned on a lot of people to uh, ask their uh, experience. You know, people that have gone, that have been... Uh, you know, coaching a lot longer than I have, and they've all said the same thing: just keep doing what you're doing. It's a process, and uh, be and be positive. How important is that to you to keep your process, keep your plan, keep your vision consistent, and not let it waver? Because I'm sure, I mean, you've probably thought of every scenario in your head yeah. <laughs> during this time. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of things go through your head, and you, you try to make sure that you're not, uh, you know, wavering from what you knew was right to start with. How much is lack of continuity right now, through whether it's injuries or you trying to find the right mix, a big factor in what's happening? Here? Well, certainly, yet to have uh, you know guys that have played together and alongside each other, and we're looking to try to get that continuity again. Our uh, you know finally we're getting a few guys back off six game, which is good, and uh, unfortunately we've been uh, in that type of situation. So uh, they were starters for a reason at the start of the year, so we're getting them back slowly but surely, and uh, looking for the continuity that you mentioned. How is this? Uh, you, you strike me as a very confident guy. You have- to be to get to this point how has what happened this season has it affected your confidence kind of in yourself or you don't really worry about that you know what you want to do and you yeah, you know what? I just, I'm just me, and uh, you know, some of my coaches like me. Some days, some days they don't. You know, and it's one of those deals where we know what's worked everywhere else we've been, and we continue to do the same thing. It's one of those deals. He used one of his catchphrases. That's Chris Jones, the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Look. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders last year were off the rails. They were 3-15, and one of the wins, a meaningless game right at the end of the season. Uh, you know, Jamie Nye, who's going to join us later in the show, often talked about how Corey Chamberlain had, had kind of lost control of the team. He, he got fired during the year. Chris Jones has come in there to, I hate to use this word, he's got in there to rebuild the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, basically. Now... He came into a situation in Edmonton where he had, I think, better existing talent. Yes, they, they were coming off a 4-14 and season. Three names in particular, just I'm not going to name everybody, but three names were already here. Mike Riley, uh, Adarius Bowman, Eld- Odell Willis. Three really good players were already here for Chris Jones. There were some guys in place. It, it, was he responsible, along with Ed Hervey, for bringing in other really good players? Absolutely. Did he do a good job coaching here in Edmonton? Absolutely. Did he give the team an aggressive, detailed mindset? I, I believe that he did. And now he goes into Saskatchewan 
where he doesn't just have to coach, he's also responsible for getting all the players. And, and I do think Chris Jones is a, is a good recruiter of talent. I think he's a good judge of talent. And I still think uh, under his watch, the Riders will become a competitive team. But they seem, I mean, they didn't belong on the same field as Hamilton last week, quite frankly. Um, and, I, you know, look, I could be eating my words in, in 27 hours, um, but the Eskimos should win tomorrow's game given what we've seen over the last month or so, and that even includes a couple of Eskimos' losses. Dave, Dave Campbell asked that question there about the, the continuity, and, you know, the Riders have already been fined for keeping all these extra players around and stuff like that, and I think what Jones is doing here is he's trying to throw anything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And that's a pretty tough way to run a football team and to coach a football team and to have your players feeling like they're... It's one thing to have your players feel like, well, if I don't do a good job, I'm going to get cut. It's another thing to have your players feeling like, oh, my God, I, why am I working with somebody else every week? Who's, gonna, who's, who's playing this position? Who's going to learn how to play this position along me learning to play mine? Because they look, they look like a team that's completely out of it. And, and right now... Right now, Jones's approach to player personnel, quite frankly, isn't working. Now, if he eventually finds all the right guys, then fine. He'll, he'll look like a genius. But uh, I think, and I, I think Chris Jones did a great job in Empton, but right now he has to wear quite a bit of the Riders' record. They're 1-7. It is 6.50. You can text 6.30, 6.30. It's Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. 13-10, Ottawa leading BC halftime in the CFL. Jay Happ was cruising along through five. He gets knocked around and knocked out of the game in the sixth inning. The Angels score four. Now middle of the inning, they're up 4-2 on the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll keep you updated on that one this evening. The uh, Red Sox lost this afternoon. The Nationals lead the Orioles 1-0. That one is in the middle of the seventh. Trade in the NHL today. Florida sends Dave Boland and Lawson Krause to the Arizona Coyotes. Arizona sends to Florida a 2017 third-round draft pick and a conditional second-rounder in 2018. Dave Boland, uh, injury-plagued season, could very well wind up on long-term injured reserve. Lawson Krause taken 11th overall by the Panthers in 2015. He's uh, 6'4", about 215 pounds. He's an interesting one because I know going into his draft year, some people loved him, thought he might go in the top five or six. Other people said he only gets this attention because he's big. He's actually not going to be a high-end player. He's not worth a first-round pick, so he already gets traded. Uh, obviously, well, he hasn't played an NHL game yet, so needless to say, early in his career. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Matthew Panashik on the other side of the window. Here's a text from uh, Mark Matthew who says, you need a top quarterback in the CFL to win. Uh, Durant is past his prime. I, I would say, here, here's how I would, I would respond, Mark. And Matthew, you, you, you can jump in here if you want. I don't think quarterback play is the chief problem with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I, I still think Durant can be a pretty effective player. Is he is he on the tail the, towards the tail end of his career? Fair enough. He's ha- had some serious injuries. Fair enough. Um, 
I know they only scored seven points against Hamilton. Fair enough. I, I still think Durant can be a, an effective quarterback. I don't see that uh, as being the chief problem for the team. Well, I, I, I kind of agree with the texture in that Durant, I, think, I believe, is past his prime. But I also see that there's a lot of problems with the Riders, including their wide receiver cores, who really, who's Durant going to pass to? I mean, if he's got nobody well, to pass to. Well, a couple to, good guys. You know, yeah, but still, if he's got problems passing to people, doesn't have good enough protection, he's just not going to have enough time because he can't get out of the pocket like he used to, right? So is he past his prime? I'm going to say yes. Uh, fair enough. I, I, just, I still think the Riders' biggest problem is defense. And, you know, the Eskimos had problems in the secondary. Uh, obviously, Saskatchewan has as well. So we'll see how that shapes up tomorrow night. We were talking earlier in the show about using disrespect as motivation. Got an interesting text here. Uh, I don't think I got a name on this one. Sign your name to your text if you can. This listener says, Hey, Reed, when I was playing high school football, our coach walked into the change room and put up a newspaper clipping and then walked out. The article had our opponents that week talking about how they were going to beat us into submission. Yes, we were the underdog. Yes, we beat them. Big smiley face. Well, there you go. I mean, look, that's literal bulletin board material. Often that's you know, just used as a metaphor. There is a literal bulletin board material that that texture received from his coach back in high school. I don't know when or where that was. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who this texture is, but interesting story. And you wonder. How often then that? And that's why everybody says safe things in the media. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of weeks where teams have gone into games thinking like, oh, my God, we're going to win. There's no way we can. They never say that publicly. What do you say publicly? Well, you got a good opponent. We're not, we're not playing very well. We have to play 60 minutes, all that kind of stuff. That's why you get that because they're, they're so terrified of motivating the other team. And as we learned today earlier, so what do athletes often do? They just manufacture disrespect. Oh, the fans don't like me. The media doesn't uh, doesn't like me. This one guy who I knew in grade eight didn't like me, and I still want to get back at him. Like it's it's crazy when you think about it, but it's also not because apparently it works. Bob Nicholson was on Oilers Now with uh, Bob Stoffer earlier today. Nicholson talking about what fans can expect when Rogers' place opens. This is, uh, Rogers Place is going to be something special. Fans are going to see it here, you know, when we start to do uh, all the various events in September. But it is the first step. They're going to be walking into Rogers Place through a construction zone. We've got the city office tower going up. We're going to have the Marriott Hotel going up. We're going to have Stantec, 67 stories. And then that's getting all ready for the Ice District where we'll be able to do so many events that will be able to be one one-offs uh, that we can do there or events, pre-events going into uh, Rogers Place. It's going to be a place like nowhere else in the world. We have uh, L.A. Live in L.A. Yeah. This is two-thirds bigger, and we're going to be able to have so much more flexibility. It's going to be so great for everyone in the area. It took uh, 20 years to build up L.A. Live. I think it took about 12 for the Toronto downtown district as well. 
for four or five years you think four, four max and we'll be at full steam uh you know it's just going to come out of the ground that quickly uh, right now i i sit and watch it and uh, we're to uh to ground level we've got six uh, floors of parking that we won't be able to access for a couple of years but now it's going to start going up uh, and it's going to go up real real quick you mentioned construction going on uh there, there is a opportunity for Edmontonians to go in and see the building on, I believe, on September the tenth. How's parking going to work down there? Is this is this is going this will be a challenge in the first couple of years, won't it? Yeah, you know what? I want to be really clear to your listeners here, Bob. It's it's not perfect. We're going to be giving, uh, you know, clear instructions of how people can get in and out. Uh, we are in a construction zone, um, and it'll g- continue to get better as more parking com- becomes available. But we are very fortunate. There are a lot of uh, parking lots uh, in downtown that we'll be able to access, so it's not going to be too far of a walk. Uh, we've got a neat way to get into the main part of the building that's almost like you're going to walk in the red carpet although it's through a construction zone uh, so just hang in there listen to the instructions that we'll be giving everyone going in and uh, once you get in the building it's going to be special don't forget to go to edmonton.ca slash rogers place to get uh, find out more about those free tickets uh, that'll be released to the public on monday the open house is september 10th 8 a.m to 3 p.m you do have to have tickets and you do have to book an entrance slot hey we'll talk about the team that's going to be playing in rogers place with rob brown he's back from summer vacation next on inside sports 6 30 chad inside sports with reed wilkins weekdays at six on 6 30 chad